Today, I'm going to be talking about two very important Supreme Court decisions having to do with Native issues and Native sovereignty. The first is uh, uh, a decision about Na Navajo water rights. So basically, the Navajo tribe, which has had a lack of clean running water for you know, decades, um, they, they basically asked the, the federal government if they would um, assess and try to address the tribe's needs for water, uh, both in the present and going forward, which seems like a very practical thing to ask since the federal government is has this fiduciary duty towards these reservations, towards these tribes, since they have forced them onto this land um, and restricted you know, their, their living in that way. Um, so the Supreme Court basically said, no, there is no obligation here for us to assess um, your water access, your water rights. And, you know, part of this has to do with the fact that water is going to become more and more scarce in the region. And the Colorado River is kind of already overpromised, like to so many different, um, you know, farmers and so many different uses. So um, the Supreme Court did not want to give that. Um, that's kind of assurance, that security that yes, you are you are going to have this portion of this water going forward. Seems like fucking <laughs> I don't anyway, so I'll let you guys respond to that quickly before I jump into the next case. But what do you my, think? My first reaction to this case is like reading the opinions, it reminded me of the end of There Will Be Blood when Daniel Day Lewis is like drainage. I'll drink your milkshake from over here. That's exactly what's happening here. Like we, by we, I mean, the American government told them, you have to be here. We are going to take everywhere else. You be here. Don't, don't have your traditional nomadic lifestyle. Be agriculture, agri agritarian, whatever the word is, and live here. Um, you'll have water to do that. And then we caused climate change and we used up the rest of the Colorado River and suddenly there's not enough milkshake for them um, because we drank it from other places. And they're just like, hey, guys, uh, you, you kind of promised us this milkshake. And we're like, oh, you see, we, we didn't say that you could drink the milkshake. You could just have it and if any get if there's any left for you then you can have some like that's ridiculous this is another one of those situations like situations where it's like if you were a kindergarten teacher settling a suite between two kindergartners you'd clearly think that yeah you promised them that you'd take care of them if they lived here for you you should take care of them it's it just very cut and dry to me mm -hmm. um okay Sorry. Uh, i mean we've gotten a lot of john cooper metaphors over the first 10 <laughs> weeks of this uh show but <laughs> That one's going to be up there for sure. You know, the um, the Navajo Nation is an independent territory in a similar similar idea that the state of Colorado is, state of Utah, the state of Nevada, state of California. Th these were all different places that were supposed to be sharing the access of the Colorado River. Now, to guarantee water access for an individual state, but not to give, not to guarantee water access for the Navajo Nation's territory. Doesn't make consistent logic, you know, in, in my mind. But then again, you know, I think as we're going through, what, what did you call this earlier in the week, John? Scotus week, Shark week, something Scotus to that week. effect. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. As as we're kind of going across the different rulings of the Supreme Court over the court over the course of this entire week, it does somehow seem consistent with how they seem to 
you know, cherry pick what is and what is not, you know, fact or what what is and what is not just or what is and what is not, you know, the rights that people should have, you know, time and time again, we're seeing the rights of certain people just being infringed upon inconsistently, very, very, very inconsistently. And, you know, in certain cases, more insidious than others, but I think let's just be honest, we're talking about water right now. Like what exactly are these people supposed to do? Like what options have you left them with? Especially in this part of the country, Arizona, New Mexico, like Colorado, Utah. I mean, these states are struggling right now. Meanwhile, they're also allowing things like golf courses to just waste so much water day in, day out. That, that That's not being infringed upon. But now this feels, this feels exceptionally you know, insidious as far as the, the implications are concerned. It'd be one thing if they said, okay, we can't guarantee you X, but we'll guarantee you Y. But just to say that we're not going to guarantee anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. Erica, what was the word that you used earlier? Dark? It's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not, it's not nearly as dark as some of the aspects of, I mean, I guess it, you can't really compare these things there. It's all tragedies that have to do a very avoidable tragedies that have to do with the violence perpetuated by settler colonialism. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you mind if I jump into this next case here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So uh, about three weeks ago, the Supreme court also uh, made a decision about the Indian child welfare act. And they surprisingly, which it, this goes against all of the other decisions, basically that we're going to be talking about today they decide to uphold the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is, it blows my mind. I have, I am shocked by this ruling. Um, so basically, the Indian Child Welfare Act was a an act that was established because there were uh, generations, decades of uh, a policy of basically like forced removal of Indian children from their families placing them with white families, which is part of the process of assimilation and the eradication of these tribes. If if you slowly put, take these children away, which is the future of that tribe, and just kind of mix them in with the white population, they are going to lose their rights to you know, everything that the, the federal government was supposed to provide for these Native people. So there is this scheme, basically, to... Uh, to dissolve the indigenous tribes, to dissolve the family units, um, and you do that through the adoption system. Um, so there was very, very, very racist adoption policies put in place where, you know, like 30 times more frequently, Native children would be placed, uh, put up for adoption than white children. Um, because they would point to things like, oh, the grandmother is taking care of them. And if this isn't a normal family structure and, oh, the kids were left in the, you know, the elder kids were looking after the younger kids while the parents were out gathering whatever they need to do. Normal shit in these tribes and the white um, settler, uh, you know, uh, uh, what? sorry, I'm spacing right now. The whole approach to um, child welfare is to like take these kids away. So basically um, the court decided to keep this law in place to protect the right of these tribes to have priority 
in placement of native children. So instead of like a child goes up for adoption, a native child, the first person that they are going to, the first placement that they're probably going to be given is uh, another, a, a family member. If they can be placed with a family member, great. If they can't, another family in that tribe. And if they can't, then another native family from a different tribe. And then after that, then white people get preference for adopting these native children. But there have been multiple white couples uh, who have, I think, been basically um, chosen by these law firms, these heavily funded, oil-funded law firms that basically have decided we're going to find a few cases uh, uh, that have to do with, um, you know, native adoptions, and we are going to make sure that um, that that the preference for these native tribes gets destroyed. You know, we're going to make sure that white people are going to get the preference there, and that is because <laughs> the law firm here involved in this one case. Um, with uh one second the chad and jennifer brackeen they were th their case was taken on pro bono by gibson dunn and crutcher and well, of course the <laughs> names were chad and jennifer pick the whitest yeah, names <laughs> <laughs> but desmond you might recognize gibson dunn and crutcher that name uh what have they been a part of they're the law firm that has been harassing and uh, persecuting basically Stephen Donziger for years, 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 and years and years and years for his fight against Chevron because they are a Chevron law firm. Not only that, but Gibson Dunn was the law firm, law firm uh, defending the, um, like, sorry, I'm, I'm spacing here, but they, um, See the, with the ALU, they have been fighting, fighting, fighting the ALU. They're on behalf of Amazon, trying to crush that labor movement. They have also been involved in all of these other things. So they were also backing the oil pipeline at Standing Rock. And now they're finding these white couples and they're trying to basically... Um, you know, help to pave the way for oil companies to go in with their pipelines and, you know, have free reign in on these reservation lands. But they can't do that if these reservation lands are still highly populated with Native people and thriving. And there's that Native, and especially youth Native resistance to these projects. So they decided we're going to start targeting the young Native folks um, and and try to ensure that white people will get preference to take these kids away from their families and further the project of racial assimilation and genocide that founded this country. It is that dark. It is that bleak. I It blew my mind when I realized, oh, shit, Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, they're involved with Chevron, Dunziger, with Standing Rock. They're involved at the Amazon Labor Union. It's just... <laughs> so anyway you guys want to respond to some of that well i i i think we should maybe do a, just an episode on that specific law firm one of these days but the uh yeah. kind of my response to this is 
what we've a recurring theme now that I think we've discussed the last couple of weeks is a lot of times these conservatives, these right wing organizations, they take a kernel of truth and they expand it to things that aren't true. Um, and I think this ties in very nicely with what we are going to discuss about student loans with what we discussed about affirmative action in that there is a kernel of truth of, okay, um, there's a lot of bad things in, uh, you know, in, uh, preservations, right. Um, a lot of drug abuse, a lot of, you know, just not necessarily good things to raise a kid around. And so there is a reasonable argument to be made that, okay, well, we need to take these children off of the reservation for their own safety, right? And as long as they keep hammering that argument, they can get what they really want, which is what you're talking about, Erica, the destruction of the Native American community, um, of that tribe that is on the land that they want. Because they can, you know, not be the moral bad guy if they're just trying to help the kids, right? But yeah. why? You know, you have, to, you have to ask that next why. You always have to ask the next why why is there rampant drug abuse on this native or why is 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 this kid's parents dead or why is you know their xyz problem that you're talking about with this specific tribe and the answer is always the same people who are trying to fuck with the tribe now are trying to fuck with the tribe then and we destroyed you know the these what should be vibrant communities we and by we i don't mean like us three i mean the United States of America, the white settler colonialism from hundreds of years ago, all the way up to right now with what they're fucking doing now, you know, it is our fault. And therefore, it is our responsibility to make sure that these tribes can stay intact and the children's welfare can be taken care of. Both can be done. It is not an either or thing. And that is the false dichotomy that this legal argument is essentially based on. And I'm very glad the Supreme Court saw it that way. I mean, I know it was more of a state's right issue when it came to the Supreme Court. But, you know, from an ideological perspective, I'm glad that we, we are viewing it that way. Mm -hmm. Desmond, any thoughts? Uh, no, sorry, guys. No? Oh, no worries. Um, yeah, I was just going to leave it right there. Unless there was there more? Oh, um, I did want to add um, that this is just to make this even more bizarre. Um, Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Neil Gorsuch both uh, joined with liberal justices to uphold the Indian Child Welfare Act. Um, and I learned I and I didn't really realize this until a couple of weeks ago, but Neil Gorsuch is the most well read about Native issues of any of the Supreme Court justices. And he had an incredible um, opinion that he wrote, which was like, what the fuck is this shit? But uh, he wrote um, about the mass removal of children from their family homes in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. He wrote that that was only the latest iteration of a much older policy of removing Indian children from their families, one intentionally spearheaded by the federal officials with the aid of their state counterparts nearly 150 years ago. In all its many forms, the dis dissolution of the Indian family has had devastating effects on children and parents alike. It has also presented an existential threat to the continued vitality of the tribes, something that many federal and state officials over the years saw as a feature, not a flaw. Uh, in adopting the Indian Child Welfare Act to secure... Um, Congress exercised its lawful authority, quote, to secure the right of Indian parents to raise their families as they please, the right of Indian children to grow in their culture, and the right of Indian communities, communities to resist fading into the twilight of history. 
what? <laughs> like, I'm, he's he's so right, but I just never expected to hear it from him. <laughs> Broken clock. Every once, in a, every once in a while, the the justices can write a piece of poetry, and that that was as a good one. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank you.